murder hornets. I mean, I'm about to cover my card. I don't know about the rest of you, but right, uh, it is. Got a few announcements here this morning. Uh, first of all, we are collecting non-perishable food items the entire month of July for the Love and Action Food Pantry. Uh, lots of folks in our community uh, are so, needing there some we go. very practical help. All right. uh, so we've um, got a box. It's good to be back with you all. So what we uh, like to do at this point in that, the worship service, um, especially right now, they um, also accept checks, children's churches, cash, just spend some time, uh, money order, all that kind of thing. Who are uh, down at the food pantry if you'd like to give in that way. Uh, I see a few uh, of you out Jerry there. Anderson, you if you would like to contribute to that. Out, uh, also, uh, if you were going on the canoe trip, today I wanted to tell you a little story about Jesus There are about 26 of us all together so, going um, on that when we Jesus are occupying was, uh, all of the canoes that ministry outfitter has available to us there are not any more and there yet. was one point so in his ministry that opportunity, where he was out uh, in the wilderness like to go at and he had this huge crowd of 5,000 people but we um, you need to be uh, here. His disciples started to look around, and as the at day this grew building later, like, in the parking lot, at about ten of seven, Jesus, you better send them uh, on home Saturday so because we just will be leaving at when seven they have o'clock for uh, meeting up with our outfitter. Uh, you like that when you're hungry on the Fox River? Hard time listening and getting each other wet. I'm sure they'll tell us don't stand up We're telling Jesus you should send them home so they can eat. I intend to violate all of those rules. He told them the craziest thing. So. You uh, with that in mind, uh, be uh, here at 10 of 7. Uh, Lindsay Murdian is still trying to raise some funds for her internship with CEC Campus Life. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe not. When you're out in the middle of nowhere, it's She is fully funded, impossible. so praise uh, the Lord. All right. How are we going to do this? And uh, the quilt friends will be back in action on July 16th never from 5 to 9 go to here at the church. So if you enjoy quilting and you like to be part of that, they okay. will um, That's welcome enough. you to join uh, So we had everyone sit down and said, I uh, want July you to the go 16th. and pass out the loaves of bread. Now with all that in mind, let me pray for us. let the people grab and, as much uh, we'll as they the want Lord together uh, until they are satisfied. Uh, begin our and worship we, If you were a disciple, you had to be thinking. God, our Heavenly Father, and five uh, this has I been mean, this a weird and trying year. How is it supposed to feed everyone? Lots of people have lost their jobs. They did it. And so they passed out these five uh, loaves of bread. Hundreds of thousands, going even out, millions. Going out. And it got to the point where everyone ate uh, we've had, and was full. Uh, they didn't just eat a little bit, but they ate invasions. until they were full. And uh, then this Jesus morning, said, we have a power not only stopped there, he said, now. okay, now go cut the left. And Father, uh, it's easy Can you in imagine? those circumstances All they had was five loaves of bread and 5,000 people, and there were leftovers. And so they went, they gathered all the leftovers, and there was enough leftovers to fill 12 um, baskets of food are not in they control ended with of all more that food to us. than they began. But Father, we are and so when we hear the story, what we should remember is that sometimes God asks us to do things that do not make sense. Outside your sovereign control. The reason he is asking isn't because he needs transpires, which, There's not something in um, us that he's saying, I need did you not to first do my work. Through your instance, loving when we tell people about Jesus and share with them to the us, good news of the gospel, uh, which that doesn't is not us going to be used of you. So why does he ask us? For our good. Well, he asks us because uh, he's our father and he wants good. us to come alongside you him and work with him. And all he asks us to do is obey. The results 
they're not ours. And Father, we pray that the you would renew our God's joy alone. this morning. We can do whatever our joy he in Christ. So our when God asked us to do things, you, it seemed impossible. Our joy like, in he asked us to you. share about Jesus with our God. joy in being able they to will be never together in Jesus. Uh, with our brothers God and sisters. God isn't asking you to convince worship. them. All he's asking you to do uh, is Father, share. Father, help us. And then watch we pray as to he does you and to make much of you. And with that today, here as we worship this In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning again, Chili Bible. Glad y'all are here this morning. Uh, let's let's pray together. God, our Father, we are truly grateful that as we sang just a few minutes ago, you are our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. The psalm says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. I lift my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And Father, even though we joked earlier about playing Apocalypse Bingo this year, with all of the things that are going on, one thing that we are grateful of and, and praise you for is the fact that there is nothing, not one single thing in all of the world that can happen to us that you will not be there to carry us through. Father, we thank you for your grace and your love to us. We pray, Father, that as we open your word and study it this morning, that you might guide us and lead us Bless us, help us to walk in a way that is pleasing to you, that we might take on even more of the character of Christ as you have designed and called us to do. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to be looking at a book that not even a lot of people in, in the church necessarily even know how to pronounce. Uh, the book is Philemon, it is not Philemon, it is not uh, some other uh, way of going at it. Uh, it you know, when, you, when you read words, sometimes it's tough to know even what that, what's that supposed to sound like. Uh, the word is Philemon. Philemon is the name of a man. And, uh, and it's a short letter, you're going to get a unique experience today. You're going to see me go through an entire book of, of Scripture in one shot. I never do that. It's always at least multiple messages on the same book, right? But today you get, this is your one shot at Philemon. So if you're here, count yourself blessed. Because uh, you're going to get the whole thing. Uh, we're going to give you both barrels on Philemon. Uh, now as you make your way there, if you've not found it, sometimes books of the Bible don't show up in your Bible anymore and you don't know where to find them. And especially these little one-chapter books. Uh, Philemon is only 25 verses. It's right in front of the book of Hebrews. So as you're flipping in your New Testament, you can't find it. Find Hebrews and then keep turning to the turning pages back to your left until you get before, right before Hebrews is Philemon. Uh, and as you're making your way there, I want to give you a little insight into the pastoral life 
that is relevant to you as you need to understand this book. Uh, it doesn't happen all the time, but it, sometimes it does happen that, believe it or not, Christians sin against other Christians. Can you believe that? I know that's shocking news. But sometimes Christians sin even against other Christians. And on top of that, sometimes they sin in ways that are serious enough that they have trouble being reconciled one to another. And often when that happens, it is because each side in the conflict has legitimate grievances against one against the other. And, and one person might say, well, you've really sinned against me and hurt me here. And the other might say, yes, and you really sinned against me. And sometimes what will happen is that uh, because of that, one party or even both will ask their pastor to step in and help. And that's part of the background of this letter. Now, while you're thinking about that, uh, I want you to also think about this, that when you're a pastor or a leader or an elder uh, or you're a parent, whenever you're in a disciple-making role with someone else, there's a delicate balance that you need to maintain as you're leading people. Because on the one hand, you can see all of their sins and all of their flaws, all these areas where they need to grow and grow up. And if you um, don't address those at some point, you run the risk of having those sins and flaws uh, actually create a separation in your relationship and in their relationship uh, with God. Because sin always drives us away from God rather than brings us closer to Him. And so you have to, you have to at some point address some of those things. On the other hand, if you just back up the truck and unload it on them with all of the stuff that they need to fix in their life, you're going to create discouragement and they're going to despair of ever following Christ and probably walk away. So if you're a wise leader, if you're a wise pastor, a wise parent, what do you do? Well, what you do is most of the time, you continue to faithfully teach what is true about what it means to follow Jesus and be patient as the Holy Spirit Himself uh, works in their life to fix many of their sins and their flaws. And then you confront specifically when it's both needed and timely, when it's the right time and, and when the need has arisen. Now, bearing all that in mind, I want you to picture yourself as Paul in this situation. You are in prison, and you can't go in person because of that to work things out between two people who need to be reconciled. And they both have legitimate claims of being sinned against by the other. Now, on the one hand, you have Philemon. Philemon is a young Christian. He's not somebody who's known the Lord for a long time. He's someone that Paul led to Christ prior to his imprisonment and who shortly thereafter welcomed the, the newly formed Colossian church to meet in his house. 
He's a wealthy man and he has space. And what do you need when you don't have a dedicated church building? You have, you need, you have somebody within the church, hopefully, that can give you space to, uh, to meet. And so Philemon is serving the church as its host. But because he was a wealthy man, because he had lived his life formerly as a pagan, he was also a slave owner. And the other side of this conflict is tied to that. That he is a slave owner and the person that he owns is a man named Onesimus. And Onesimus sinned against his master even though Philemon had the greater sin of being a slave owner, Onesimus still sinned against him because he, uh, he ran away, which in itself we can debate about. But the bigger deal was this. He stole from his master on his way out the door. Now you have to understand that under Roman law, at the time, both running away and Stealing from your master were capital offenses. You could be put to death by your master. They didn't even have to take you to court for doing either one of these things. And Onesimus had done both. But through a set of circumstances that only the Holy Spirit of God could orchestrate, Onesimus, when he runs away, just happens to wind up in Rome. And he just happens to wind up there at the same time as Paul is there in prison. And somehow, again, through a set of circumstances that only the Holy Spirit could orchestrate, he winds up meeting Paul, and Paul leads him to faith in Christ. And Onesimus becomes not only a believer in Christ, but also a partner in Paul's ministry. And because he becomes a Christian and because he becomes a partner in Paul's ministry, he learns from Paul what it means to follow Jesus and he realizes, you know what? You're the same guy who back in Colossae, hundreds of miles from here, led my master to Christ. I wonder if you could help me to be reconciled to the man that I wronged. Would you like to step into the middle of this situation? Any volunteers? to try to reconcile the irreconcilable between people. That's what Paul does. And I think there is a lot we can learn about making peace with one another from this letter. So I want to start reading verses 1 through 7 with you. The letter begins, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. 
Now, you need to remember that Paul, the man writing this, is an apostle. The apostles could and did speak on, on God's behalf. When they wrote, they wrote with God's divinely appointed authority as his apostles. In fact, at a word from the apostle Peter in the early church, two people who had sinned against the church were struck dead. Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5. So Paul could have just ordered Philemon to do what he needed to do. He could have said, Philemon, hey, this is Paulus Maximus here, and I need you to listen to me on what I'm about to tell you and step up and do the right thing. But that isn't what Paul does. He doesn't issue orders that have to be followed, even though he would be within his rights to do so. Instead, what he does is begin with the relationship that he has with Philemon and to use that relationship to build on that toward reconciliation. He starts off by reminding Philemon, first of all, that he's writing from his imprisonment for the gospel, which is a subtle reminder of why he's not doing this in person. I'm not coming to you and dealing with this personally because I'm in jail and I can't, but remember why I'm in jail. Because of the gospel. And he emphasizes his love and relationship with Philemon, and not just Philemon, but certainly Philemon. Look at how he's addressed. Our beloved fellow worker. And it's also addressed to his whole family. Who's Athia? That's Philemon's wife. Who's Archippus, our fellow soldier? That's Philemon and Athia's son. Paul knows all of these people. And also notice that he addresses it to the church as a whole as well. The very church that meets in Philemon's home. By the way, why does he do that? If this is just a private thing between Philemon and Onesimus, why does Paul drag the church into it? Because, and I think it's because men and women, sometimes conflict and sin gets serious enough that the whole church has to get involved because the whole church is affected. And that's the situation here. And so it's not just addressed to Philemon, it's addressed to him, to his wife, to his son, and to the church. And the whole church is going to be involved in this. The whole church has been affected. And and by the way, let me just, just as an aside, this is free, okay? One of the greatest lies that Satan ever convinces people of is that my sin is private and personal and it only affects me. And so it's none of the rest of y'all's business. That is a lie from hell. Sin is like, when we sin, it's like throwing a rock in a pond and it ripples out. And it affects everybody around us. Everybody close to us is affected when we sin. And so while while sin and its and its consequences are primarily tied to the person who committed that sin, it's never limited to that. 
Ask a woman whose husband has committed adultery whether his sin would only affected him. Ask a man who's married to a sharp-tongued woman if her sin only affects her. Ask a child growing up in an abusive home if the sin committed against them was just confined to the person doing the abusing. Sin always ripples out. And sometimes it, because the whole church is affected, the whole church is also involved in bringing reconciliation and restoration. Now that's not always the case, but sometimes it is. And it's serious enough here that the whole church has to be addressed right along with the man. And from this foundation, Paul goes on to encourage Philemon. Do you see that? He builds him up in all of the ways that he says, let me tell you all the ways I'm rejoicing over you, Philemon. And let me be clear, he is totally genuine in this. So we need to take that part of this as an example too. Because sometimes we can... We can tell people about all the things that we enjoy about them as a way of manipulating them into giving us our way. That's not what Paul's doing. He really genuinely rejoices over Philemon's life and his growth in Christ. He's not simply engaging in flattery. So he, he thanks God for Philemon and his prayers because of the faith and love he has for Christ and his church. And he also says, hey, and I pray for you that your faith would grow. That your faith would grow in such a way that it encompasses every part of your life. Because that's always the challenge for every believer, isn't it? That we all have, we, wanna, we want Jesus to occupy in full the house that is our life, but we have a closet or two we don't want him to open. And Paul's prayer is that Philemon would give Jesus free reign over every part of his life. We all have sins we don't see as sins, things that we're blind to that we need to grow up and to recognize. And that's Paul's prayer, that Philemon would grow enough to see that every part of his life would reflect Jesus' presence in it. And by the way, He's about to address one. This is kind of foreshadowing, if you will, uh, of what's coming, but it's encouraging. I mean, my prayer for you is that you would grow. And he also encourages Philemon in verse 7 with the reality that Philemon is an encouragement to him and to the rest of the church uh, around him because it's important to emphasize what is good before you launch into the root of the problem. And there is a lot that's good with Philemon's life. He's growing, but he's a young believer and he has a lot of immaturity and he has some sin that he doesn't even see at this point. But eventually, you have to grasp the nettle. You have to take hold of the problem and deal with it. And that's what Paul does in verses 8 to 20 when he makes his request. 
Look at these verses with me. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. For I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self, Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Now, this is a beautifully written appeal. What he's saying is, look, Philemon, I'm an old man now. Do a favor for an old man. I'm in prison for the gospel. And I want you to do the right thing about Onesimus, but I'd rather appeal to you and ask. I don't want to order you. I want you to do it because you love me and you love him. I want you to do the right thing because out of, out of love rather than out of obligation. And by the way, there's a play on words on the name Onesimus in this letter in verse 11. Onesimus is a name that means useful. And he says, he became useless, but now he's useful, not only to me, but also to you, because he's become a ministry partner to me. A thief and a runaway isn't useful, but useless. And Paul says, Onesimus is now a man who lives up to his name. And by the way, this is interesting. Somebody calculated... And it depends on your translation how many words there are in this chapter or in this book. But there are approximately 460 words in the letter. It takes 179 of them before Onesimus' name comes up. Isn't that interesting? Paul has a long buildup on relationship before he gets to the request. Because it's on the basis of your love for me that I want you to fulfill what I've asked. Paul knows that he knows Philemon and he knows that because he loves Paul that he would gladly send him whatever was in his power to send him if Paul asked for it. And so he says, well, instead of sending me a monetary gift, why don't you just let Onesimus, stay with me and help me in my ministry. I'm an old man. I could use the help. 
On top of that, Paul points away that points out that that Onesimus running away was not outside God's plan. He says, look, perhaps the reason that he was separated from you for a while, he wasn't separated, Onesimus ran off. But Paul indicates, he uses these words to indicate that, look, this was part of God's plan. God designed and used the fact that Onesimus ran away so that when he came back to you, he would come back to you not as your slave anymore, hint, hint, but that he would come back to you as your brother. Much more valuable relationship than master and servant. He says, look, he's my beloved brother and your beloved brother. Receive him back on that basis. Now, do you understand? You may not find this as shocking as it would have been in the society in which this is written. But this is a revolutionary idea. In 1776, we wrote a Declaration of Independence. Amen? And it begins, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Now, in fact, that is not a self-evident truth. It's a, it's a truth you've got to get out of your Bible. That all people are created in the image of God and therefore they have equality. But in Roman society, it was highly stratified. Highly stratified. And you had the patricians at the top and then you had the plebes underneath them and then you had slaves. And... It all flowed downhill from the top. And if you were at the top, you had, you had a plethora of rights. And if you were at the bottom, you had none. And in fact, you were treated uh, as a matter of course unjustly because the slave population was so high that the leading fear of Roman society was continually slave rebellions. So at the same time this letter was written, there was a slave who murdered his master. His master was a cruel man who owned 400 slaves. And one of them finally tired of it and stabbed him to death. And the Roman courts decided that what really needed to happen here was not just that we put the murderer to death, but that we put him to death along with the 399 other slaves in that household who hadn't done anything to set an example to all slaves across the empire. Paul says, receive him back as your brother and no longer as your slave. Paul is turning the world upside down with this letter. And by the way, it is to our shame as the church that it took so long for us to catch up to the truth that is here. The church of Jesus Christ had this letter for 2,000 years. And it was pretty late that we came around to the idea of abolition. 
But he says, Philemon, this runaway slave is your brother. And more than that, he's going to quietly ask for Philemon to set him free from slavery. Look at verses 17 to 20. It's subtle rather than blatant. So you have to understand the words. Receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you, I will repay it. And he says, look, in fact, Timothy is the one copying down what I'm saying, but I'm going to grab the pen and write it in my own hand. Paul was was mostly blind, and so he wrote with great big letters. Because that was he couldn't see. And he says, Look, I'm going to I'm going to write with my own hand here, so you know that I'm serious when I say this. If he has wronged you, I will repay it. Paul puts himself in the position of going so far as to repay what he didn't steal on behalf of Onesimus, his brother in Christ. And by the way, he says, and and since we're talking about debts here, and he does owe you a debt. Remember, who owes who? You owe me your life, your very soul. He owes you some money. And if that's still a big deal, I will take care of it. But you owe me your soul, Philemon. You would never have come to Christ if it wasn't for me sharing the gospel with you. And so while we're settling accounts, just remember that. The money's still a big deal, I'll handle it. But let's remember how much you have been forgiven of and how. By the way, again, just as an aside, if you're going to forgive someone, you know what step one is? To remember how much forgiveness you've received. Remember what Jesus said when He taught the disciples to to pray? He said, said, pray like this. And then at the end, there's a section on forgiveness. And He says, forgive us our sins, trespasses, transgressions, whatever your translation reads. As, that's a dangerous word. As we have forgiven those who sin against us. In other words, as a Christian, you cannot be unforgiving because you have been forgiven an eternal debt. We dare not be like the unforgiving servant in the parable who was forgiven a debt he could not pay in a million lifetimes. And hold against the much less debt of someone who has sinned against us. And when you put it this way, how could Philemon refuse? He can't. Proverbs 25.15 is what I was reminded of as Paul is making his appeal. It says, through patience a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue breaks a bone. Point is, even the hardest heart can be moved by words of truth that come wrapped in grace like this. Verses 21 to 25, we see Paul anticipating the results. They haven't happened yet, but he's anticipating and looking forward to them. Look at 
verse, verse 21 to 25 with me. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul's expectation here at the end of Philemon is that Philemon will do even more than he has directly said. He never explicitly asks for Onesimus' freedom, only that Onesimus be allowed to return to assist Paul in his ministry. But he's expectant that Philemon will do more than that and he will be released. And, and on top of that, that Paul will be able to come and visit Philemon soon. He says, get my guest room ready because I'm coming. By the way, that serves two purposes. On the one hand, there's encouragement. Hey, I love you. I'm coming to see you. On the other, there's accountability for what I've been encouraging you to do. And Paul is hoping for good results. And by the way, when you're instructing somebody, isn't that what you want to do? Be encouraging of them and say, and I'm confident you can do it. I'm confident you can do it. In fact, I think you're going to do better than what I've told you. There's also a greeting from the same group of fellows that we see at the end of Colossians, and there's a prayer for God's grace to fill Philemon's spirit. And by the way, why would he need that kind of a prayer? Because what Paul is asking of him is something which requires God's grace. It is never easy, is it, to, to come to people and to say, hey, by the way, when you sinned against me, I'm not going to count that against you anymore. I'm going to forgive you because God in Christ has forgiven me so much. And I'm not going to hold it against you anymore. Does that require supernatural, God-empowered, Spirit-filled grace? Yes. Son, that requires a lot of grace. And so Paul prays that God's Spirit would give Philemon a heart full of grace. Now, would you love to know what happened? I want to be Paul Harvey here for a minute and tell you the rest of the story. What happens out of this? First of all, God saw fit to include this letter in His Word. And I think He did so as a monument to the real transformation that Christ brings to human hearts. Because there are indications from church history that that is exactly what happened. That there was tremendous transformation. Uh, church history indicates that Onesimus did go home to his master, Philemon. And that Philemon received this letter and did exactly what Paul hoped and persuaded him to do. And that he and Onesimus were reconciled as brothers. First indication that we get of that, by the way, is the fact that we have it. We have the letter. If he hadn't done that, he wouldn't have kept it. 
Because what do you do with, with, with uh, letters from people that you don't like, asking you to do something you don't want them don't want to do? You might set it in fire in the yard, or you, you might, uh, you know, staple it and throw it away, or I don't know what. You know, but you don't keep it. Philemon kept it and preserved it and made sure it was copied into the Word of God. The other indication we have is this, that we know that, that, that a man named Onesimus, shortly after this, rose up to become the senior pastor of the church in Ephesus, which was the big church up the road from Colossae. And he, had, he was able to do that because he had been set free. How about that for the grace of God? This guy who was a runaway slave and a thief became instead a pastor. By the way, also, just by way of results from this letter, this letter is, I think, the, the whetstone that sharpens the axe of abolition in this country. That this book is what happens, is, is the basis for what happens where people, where Christians read it and they go, you know, the idea that we who have been set free from slavery to sin can, in any compatible way with that, hold other people captive as slaves is absolutely incompatible. We cannot do that. And it took a long time for that to rise up and filter its way through our society. It took longer for the ideal of all men created equal to work itself out. Still being worked out. But this book is part of the reason why. And how about this as a model for us to follow in reconciliation when we have sin creating a barrier between people uh, in our church? That we begin with the relationship that we have with them. By the way, isn't it always easier to, to receive correction, admonishment, um, to achieve reconciliation when there's a relationship that exists that's between the two of you where you already love each other and you're trying to bring it together. It's never easy, but it's easier if that's the case. If you can build on that relationship bring it about and then and to focus on what we've enjoyed together things we've done together and then move with gentleness and respect to making our requests hey by the way you know I love you I love and we've done a lot together we've accomplished a lot in ministry together I'm grateful to God for you but there's an issue that we needed to solve and then to bring about forgiveness and reconciliation and peace made with the expectation that this is going to happen when you go into it. 
because we're brothers and sisters in Christ and that even more than what we've asked is going to be done. Right? I think the expectation is part of it that we ought to carry into it because many times we don't confront people and we don't deal with things, we don't deal with sin against us because our expectation is not that they're going to do more than we ask, but that they're going to do less. Right? We go, well, I'm not going to bring up that that problem with them because they're not going to change anyway. What a terrible assumption to make about someone who's your brother or your sister in Christ. Right? Well, I know they have the Holy Spirit, but they're clearly incapable of growth. (laughs) Right? Never want to make that assumption about each other. I want to have the expectation that Paul has here that you're going to do even more than I ask. Because this is our model. This is what Christ following, God the Father worshiping, Spirit-filled believers in Jesus Christ do when they are in conflict one with another, when they're hurt and sinned against, they seek out reconciliation and they make peace and they go above and beyond to bring it one to another and do even more than they've been asked. Amen? All right. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this text. We thank You that You speak to us in it, that You give us an example to follow. That You not only tell us how to live, but You show us what it looks like to live that way. You give us, um, you give us a model to follow. Father, we're grateful for that. Father, we confess to You, I confess to You, that we are guilty of sins that we don't even see sometimes. Our immaturity and our lack of Christ-likeness that still remains within us prevents us from seeing clearly our own sin, from standing downwind of ourselves and smelling the aroma being given off. Father, we can't We can't tell sometimes we're in sin. Other people can see it clearly, but we can't. So Father, I I pray that when we hurt people, that we would be gently and respectfully and based on the relationship we have with one another, confronted and cared for, not out of a spirit of vindictiveness or a desire to get even, but out of the spirit of, hey, you're my brother, my sister, I love you. I know you love me. Here's an issue. Father, help us to make peace with one another. Help us to love each other well. Father, we know that the mark of the Christian is love. I pray that it would characterize all of us, that we would not be defensive when we sin against someone and they confront us, that we would not seek to justify our behavior because our self-righteousness and self-justification comes at the cost of relationship many times. Father, help us to repent. Help me to repent. Help these, your people, to repent and to love each other well. 
and to live in a fully Christian way when it comes to reconciliation one to another. Father, we love you and we ask for your grace to fill our spirits. In Jesus' name, amen.